So we speak to Michael Orette, and it's for one of two people, either A, you're interested in Toastmasters and competing at the highest level and winning, or B, you want to improve your comedy or your delivery of jokes, whether it's on stage or in a group of people. He is one of my good friends. He's an amazing guy, very humble, a fantastic father. And what you're going to be able to learn from him is somebody that has competed where they take the top 10 of thousands and thousands and thousands of speakers from all across Toronto, and they condense them into this small group of people that will compete at the highest level, and he's won consistently over and over and over again. If those are the types of insights that you're looking for, this show is for you. This is hey. I Will Teach You To Speak. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, John. All right, I know you as a family man, someone that's incredibly talented at public speaking, but extremely humble. I want everyone to get to know you on that personal level as well. And so can you start off by telling us the story of your son's violin recital? Because I've seen you do it on stage and it was hilarious, everyone loved it. And I think that's a great way to let everyone get to know you. Okay, so the, the speech I did at Speaker Slam was called Death by Violin. <laughs> and it was about my son's violin recital that I didn't want to go to. And uh, when I entered the room, I noticed the, the music instructor was taking it too seriously. Like he thought he was directing <laughs> the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> I saw the parents scattered around. I was reading the room. And, you know, we're on the West End of town. And classical music's not that, that very popular around here. So, I, um, yeah, I was just taking notes. I was just reading the atmosphere. Uh, parents was, were scattered and the kids were playing terribly. <laughs> and I just, I could just compiled all of that to just be real and said, you know what? This is going to be a great speech. And by the time the thing was over, we, I had, I think I had the whole speech written. It just had to be assembled. And I never had a title for it. The title was the last thing that I actually thought of. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And it it just came together naturally. And I'm like, this is the one. I'm going to do this. It was like a hit. Because uh, it, it just felt like a very comfortable speech. And I knew I liked it. So once I like it, I'll do it. And it's up to the audience to decide if they like it. And, and people received it well. That's awesome. So that was the Speaker Slam speech. And that's the one you won, correct? Yes. Okay. So you came first. And now, for those that don't know you again, you came first at Speaker Slam. And then you have a ton, a ton of Toastmasters accolades that people would be absolutely, they would, they, so many people desire to be at the level that you've competed at and won at. So I want to start off for those people that want to compete or those people that need to understand how can they be the best of the best, not just good, because it's okay to be a good speaker, but when you're winning the district level contest over and over and over again, and you're winning speaker slam, you're the best of the best. So what separates those people that are just good and then the best of the best? And I know you're a humble guy. And so mm. feel free to just tell us what you, what you need to tell us here. I'm going to keep it a buck. A buck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first thing is, okay, the first humorous contest, speech contest I won in 20, 2012, I want to say 2012, that one I went into pretty much blind because 
I just I just put my hat in the ring to compete, and I just kept kept advancing to do each round. And I didn't know if I was going to make it, but I just didn't care. Like, I honestly didn't care. I didn't care about winning. I didn't care about losing. I just wanted to do it. So there was that freedom okay. of, of, of not caring, not wanting to win. And I think that's the first thing. Because that pressure of, of wanting to win, sometimes it, it messes with you when, you, when, you're, when you're drawn first to go. Right? Okay. Or, you're, or you're drawn last. So now you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to go out with a bang. Or if you go first, you have to set the bar. So mm. if, you re- if you really believe in your content and you want to separate yourself from everybody else, you have to not care about what position you come in. Some people are so concerned because they're trying to ride the momentum from the last round to say, I want to come in first again. Don't, you, 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 you have to not care. I don't know how to say it. Like you have to have nothing to lose. I hear um, you. Yeah, because if, yeah. if you're focused too much on the outcome, you need to separate yourself from the outcome so yes. that you can just bring the relaxed self that wrote the speech, the relaxed self that practiced the speech, and the relaxed self that's going to be the one that's going to deliver the best performance. Correct. Because, um, you know, when I joined Toastmasters to become a better speaker, I never joined to, to win contests. That was the byproduct. Mm. And I just enjoyed the moment in 2012. And that just made it, like, made it, made it easier uh, to compete because I didn't care. I didn't care if, if you gave me the third. I just enjoyed being up there, and, and for some reason, you know, it 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 it, it resonated with people. In 2013, I won the humorous speech contest in District 60, 86. But for that, it was it was the same thing. It was a new district for me, so no one mm-hmm. knew me there. Mm-hmm. So I I basically had a clean slate. I had no reputation, and the same thing. I just didn't care, and you know, I went for it. And the funny thing is, I didn't care even more because. Um, only people in my club knew at the time, but when I won the division contest, I was working at Loblaw's head office. And the day after I won the, 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 the division contest, I got fired. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it, it was, I was riding this high, like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And then the next day, bam, they let me go. <laughs> and for two weeks, I had to just sit there and just like, because two things are going on. It's like in two weeks, you have this contest, right, to go to international. But at the same time, you got to look for a job. Yeah. And it was just, it was the weirdest moment because you're, you're torn between man. You know, it's on one hand, you have this thing you love, but you got to, you got to handle your business. I mean, you yes. have kids to take care of, you have bills to pay. Yes. And it was this moment where like, uh, sorry, it wasn't a human. Sorry. It was the international, it was the international speech contest. I came in second. That's when I got uh, let go. Right. Okay. And I, I came in second in that contest, but I think I finished that high because again, I didn't care. Because I had nothing to lose. There was nothing. Yeah, you were outcome independent. You weren't dependent on the the outcome. Correct. And, you know, it's something that I've always remembered to do because I fell victim to it a few times. It's don't speak from your ego, right? Just speak freely. Don't try to speak based on something you've achieved in the past or, you know, or or, or, or what – what, don't let the, 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 the commentary of the audience or people get in your head. You have to speak from a place of like freedom and realness. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a tip. One thing that helps you do that is exposing yourself, getting naked on stage. And what I mean by that is, you remember when we were at Speaker Slam and when I was comp- we were competing and I did the, the speech about like me smoking weed and whatnot. Yes. Right. Now, in a corporate environment, that might not be the most appropriate content. But I, I started to add content like that in my speech 
to show vulnerability in order to keep yourself vulnerable. The same way that when you did your speech about um, uh, competing in the, the trampoline competitions, right? Mm -hmm. And then being caught up in a rut of depression and just getting high. Those things, that information, that intimate information about yourself always keeps you at this level of humility where you don't rely on your ego as much when you're on stage, right? So the same way when you, again, you started off the, the podcast talking about where you're at, you know, you had a recent breakup. Don't, revealing that information about you. I mean, there could be TMI, like too much information. <laughs> but revealing some of those intimate relation, um, details about yourself, it helps get you a little bit naked in front of the audience where you're not talking down to them and you're not talking them from a plateau to say, hey, look at me, I've arrived. You're like, hey, I have struggles too. I don't yes. have all the answers. I don't know where, where, where I'm going right now. And, and that sort of helps keep you in a place where you could deliver the message from a more pure uh, standpoint. Okay. Yeah, I know. I appreciate the, the angle you took there because that's a very like mindset and like in the clouds, high level perspective, more strategy. And now I'm curious if we could dive in a little bit into some of the tactics. So let's say as an example, I'm on stage. You're, mm -hmm. you're outcome independent. It doesn't matter whether you win or lose. Let's say maybe even you're getting paid to do this presentation. There's, so there's no real winning. You're already there. Mm -hmm. You've got punchlines to deliver or you're crafting jokes. Do you have any tips on either the delivery? And I, this is a lot of questions. So you could choose where you want to go. Either the delivery, the creation of the joke, or like the timing or anything like that of actually being humorous on stage. Because I have no, like very little humor. The, the last, last week at Toastmasters, I had one joke and it was because the, there was a guy in the audience who's all, whose name was also Jonathan. And I said, you got the best name in the club and everyone laughed. And like, that's <laughs> like, that's the only humor that I have. So for people like me that really want to improve, do you have any tactical takeaways that I could just start to implement immediately? Or were you always just hilarious? No, humor was actually my weakest point. Okay, so it's hope. Yeah, I was more just a technical guy. Like, I like to spew information. But by the time I reached my ninth speech, the crowd, they're like, all right, yeah, you could, you could teach us stuff, but we, we want to we laugh. It's our lunch break. Like, give, okay. us, a, give us a break. Cool. Uh, the, first, the first is um, when, you, when you're telling a joke, you want to have attitude. Attitude is everything when it comes to comedy. It's not even how much about the punchline and, 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 and as much about um, the buildup as much as your attitude. You, you notice a comedian will get on stage and he'll, his demeanor will be like, what's up with y'all tonight? You know, <laughs> and everybody starts laughing because he's, he's bought into it. Like his attitude, his demeanor is it. Okay. Um, one of my favorite comedians, Jim Carrey, like look how he carries himself. Just, his, just his, his whole character is just funny. And he hasn't said a word yet. Yes. So the, the first key is attitude. Okay. I often tell um, speakers in my club, whenever they tell a joke for the joke of the day, they tell it so monotone. Yeah. And it's not like they're trying to be dry. They just don't own it. They don't okay. add details. They don't embellish the points. And it's just that. Start with one, you have to start by uh, get a joke off the internet. And see how many ways you could tell that joke. Like, see how many different points you could emphasize. See how many points you could emphasize. And see how many different ways you could, you could twist it. Because many times people tell a joke like, you know, why did, you, why did the chicken cross the road just to, to get to the other side? And it's like, okay, well. And someone could add and say, hey, why? 
did the chicken cross <laughs> okay. the road? Like, you know, different, just a different approach. Yeah, different uh, timing, different styles, different delivery, different eye contact. Like, you can just gel and mesh with it. Yes. Uh, and the next thing is when you work your way up to getting that laughter, you have to, this is why pausing is so important when you're doing, when you're on stage, because pausing is not just about transitioning and about giving the audience a chance to digest the information. Pausing is also a chance for you to allow the laughter to sit with the audience. Yes. So you tell a joke, the audience is laughing, you keep talking, mm. they're not understanding you, and, and everything's lost in communication. Okay. You have to be able to tell the joke, let them laugh, and let that laughter sort of ride and die down, okay. then continue. Then continue. Yeah. We have a mentor in our club that says, don't step on your own jokes. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, just a competition tip though. Uh, when you, when you incorporate laughter into your speech, uh, it does eat up your time. Yes. You know, it does eat up your time. So if you're telling jokes and the audience is laughing and laughing and laughing, they could laugh you into disqualification, right? Mm. So you want to make sure that you have them laugh and let it ride, but account for that. So if you wrote five minutes worth of, uh, material, and there's, let's say, a minute worth of laughter. Well, you're already at the six-minute point. Okay. Right. So you already, and you may, and you have to account, you have to account for that in your speech. Uh, if if they don't laugh, well, you got more time to speak. Okay. Got it. So that's that's great. So we're talking about bringing attitude, experimenting with different styles of delivery. Then you said, don't laugh, don't step on your own jokes. Give it time to ride the wave, so to speak, in your in your humor. Is there any other tips on? Yeah. Um, early on, I used to speak from paper. So I used to write a speech or recite it verbatim. Yeah. And what that prevented me from doing was being liquid. So if something may happen in the room, I couldn't incorporate it because I was so stuck to my script. Mm. So when you write your speech and you have a little bit of leeway, uh, you have different ways you could say your speech. So let's say I was supposed to, I, I asked you about your life story. There's a million ways you could tell your life story, correct? Yes. You can tell it from, 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 you can start anywhere. You want to have your material, um, not memorized, but you want to be familiar with your material the same way. So if something happens in the room, let's say the bartender threw up on the bar, you could, you know, incorporate it in your speech or, or something along those lines. Like there's always funny things that happen with the microphone. Uh, during the meeting, the DJ may be playing, um, you know, the wrong music all night. And sometimes you could play on that and it may trigger the audience and it may show them that, hey, you're paying attention. You're really engaged right now. So you want to maintain that, um, that fluidity, that liquid uh, in, in your material. Don't be like a train on the tracks. I okay. say. Don't, don't recite everything verbatim from paper. Have some leeway and try it at the club level. Try it at the club level. Um, when you're, when you're, whenever you're a Toastmaster and you give your opening toast, right, as the meeting goes on, start ad-libbing things that people, people may come up and they say, hey, Bob, that's a nice plaid shirt you're wearing. You know, mm. did you get it at the discount rack at Walmart? <laughs> whatever. whatever, whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, I wore this Nike shirt once to a club and another guy was, was, was uh, one of our other members was wearing like a sweatsuit. I'm like, yeah, we're Nike brothers. <laughs> just we just incorporate different things um so so that's what happens when you stay liquid when, when, when you're not stuck to the script you could incorporate you could embed different things that happen in real time and it's pretty neat 
Yeah, let's do this, Michael, because that transitions really nicely into the next point, which is how do you prepare these days versus how you used to prepare and what you prefer now? Because if you're saying, as an example, you prepare so hard verbatim, buy the books, and then you can't be as fluid and liquid versus now, what do you do? Okay, so yeah, before I used to write the script and then just run with it. Now what I do is I try to remember the idea and see how many ways I could speak to that idea. So re realistically, I'll write, let's say, 50% of the speech, and then I'll start reciting the speech, and while I'm reciting the speech, it writes itself. Okay. Because I'll say, hey, that line sounds dumb. <coughs> that line sounds great when I wrote it, but now it sounds stupid now that I said it. What was I thinking? Okay. Right? And uh, things may happen. Um, oh, for example, the, the sound effect I was making the, yes. during the death by violin. I never thought about that until I recited it like the 30th time. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, that, that, that could work. And it was risky. I'm like, Hey, I'm like, this sounds bad right now. But <laughs> my, son, my son was laughing at it and I'm like, okay, he likes it. So, you know, he understands what I'm trying to do. Yes. Uh, so I, I no longer write the entire script. I write half of the script and then I, I recite it and work it out that way. Uh, another thing is the things I do try to memorize is any quotes yes. or, st or statistics. Yep. Uh, you can't really play with those, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, but quotes and statistics, I try to, I, I try to rem remember to the T. Um, and, and now because I'm on that ACG level, and for I those that don't the, know, advanced communicator gold, he's one step away from being at the very end of the Toastmaster speaking curriculum. Correct. So now, like, to newer members, it seems like, you know, you're on this higher level or whatnot. But now I'll just write, like, 50% of my speech and just go into the club and just do it and let them work it out want. for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, like, so I'll take, I'll, I'll write 50% of the speech. I'll do it. It'll be not polished, but it'll be, like, understandable. Yeah. And then th I'll take their feedback and their evaluations and just, just complete it that way. I'm no longer going to be stuck to the script unless it's like n totally necessary. Okay, Michael. And the goal of this podcast, this show, is to be really useful for, useful for people. So let me ask you this. Because you're a decade in and you're a talented speaker and you've won tons of contests, do you feel that type of preparation is actually going to be useful for everybody or people that are just starting off? Does it make more sense to be memorizing the whole presentation? Uh, for people starting off, I think it, it is, you can start off memorizing, I would say, because anything that gets you away from paper. Okay. There's people that are good memorizers that I don't know if you've seen some of these like self-help conferences and you'll see them do the same sort of presentation in nine cities. Yeah. And you're like, hey, because it's so well rehearsed, it seems natural. Yes. And I would prefer that than paper. Paper kind of gives, gives away that, hey, you're not fully prepared. Yeah. Like, this you're is not, not coming on. Yeah. So if you memorize it and it's in your mind and you don't need paper, fine. Because when you're free from paper, your arms are open to gestures. Yes. You now could roam the stage, right? And you don't have that nervousness when you're holding the piece of paper and it's like jiggling all over the place. Um, for the style I do now, where you write a portion of it and then sort of freestyle the rest, let's say, 
Uh, that works more in a, a, a corporate environment when you're okay. speaking more regularly because you don't have the luxury of sitting down and polishing it. Yes. If you're speaking to business people, board members, uh, you're traveling, you're in politics, you're in uh, anything professional, you, you don't have the luxury of, uh, uh, you see po politicians get written speeches all the time, mm. right? They, they, that, they, they can't, you know, polish it and recite it. So you have to sort of just know what you want to say and be concise about it and just speak, speak, um, you know, speak to the idea, not so much well, the script. One last thing I'm curious about from a preparation perspective, when you were getting ready for the Grand Slam competition, I saw you posting videos on Facebook, like calling me out while you were exercising and you like made these montage clips and it was like, yo, Jonathan, are you ready for speaker slam? And is, is exercise always part of your speaker prep or was it just you were trying to really psych yourself up for that contest? It is. It is. Hell yeah. Okay. is a gym rat. <laughs> no, I became a gym rat after I want to say I think four years ago. I was I was overweight, man. If you go on my Facebook and look at my like my old pictures, man, I was crazy overweight. And yeah, I was speaking well, but uh, I didn't feel good as a person for myself. Like I wasn't I was I wasn't feeling healthy at, at all. So. Um, I, um, that's the speech I, I did. I incorporated the speech that I did for the district 60, um, speech contest didn't place, but I will go again. Okay. Uh, no, but what I do is see, I'm a 5am hustle guy too, right? Yes. So I'll get up early in the morning. I'll go for a run and I'll sprint like, ah, right. And when I'm sprint at the end of my sprint, when I'm winded, then I start reciting my lines. Oh, wow. Because it simulates nervousness. You know when you're nervous, you could hardly get the words out of your mouth? Yes. It's, it's similar to after you come off a sprint and you're trying to talk and your lungs are like, no, no, I, I, nah, I can't. You know, and it's helped, it's, helped, it's helped with my projection, right? Okay. Because uh, I, do, I, I like doing my cardio work. I like doing my weight work. And um, I sort of have a love more for working out than I do public speaking. Just because working out, you get the result immediately. Yes. But, but I incorporate the two. I, really, I, I look dumb in the morning, man. I'll tell you how many mornings, especially for the last um, international speech contest I did for District 60. I mean, for mornings, I was up running on the sidewalk and then reciting my speech. And people were looking at me like, what, what the heck's wrong with that? <laughs> but, okay. you know, Yeah, I didn't care. Like, you make, make the public your audience, mm -hmm. right? I'll just come and say, you know what? I threw that weight loss idea into the ocean of interest. Incomplete dreams, you know, <laughs> just, just go off in public, like in the morning. So that's, that's part of my preparation. I, I, I like the gym work and, and also the push, uh, you know, you work out as well. And you know that there's always that point where, you know, you could do more, mm -hmm. but you don't want to do more and you have to push yourself to do more. Uh, that's what it's like competing because when you win at the area level and the division level, you're doing the same material and you're like, man, how am I going to spice it up again? How could I make one final push? You know, how could I make this material fresh again? And it's that character that you build up in the gym that's going to actually carry over for me anyway, um, onto the stage. So it's something that I always do. Like I, 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 I love working out. Mm -hmm. What I love about that advice, it's great advice. Just 
the, the fact that you're promoting health is fantastic. The other thing I like about that is that not only will being healthy and strong prepare you for public speaking, but it's ubiquitous. It's going to support you in whatever career decisions you make in your relationships. It doesn't matter. And so great advocacy there for being healthy. I appreciate that. Oh, for sure. Last thing I'm curious about before we go ahead and close this off is anything that's on your heart right now or any parting wisdom that you want to share, whether it's in your public speaking experience as a father, things you've learned from mentors from coaches from teachers. I want to give you the space because sometimes I feel like my questions may limit the potential answers of a guest. And I just want to have an open forum. If there's anything on your heart you want to share, Michael, go ahead and do that. Well, there's a few things. I'm going to keep it up. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay, I'm going to be real. Um, you know, on the Toastmasters side of things, like the com- competing could be, a, it could, be a, it could be a blood sport. Um, we're there to encourage each other, but don't get it twisted. Like, I've had some really mean things said to me after I won some of these contests. Now. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm There's like, a dark what? side in Toastmasters too. There is, a dark, there is a little bit of a dark side because People have put a lot of time into it, and each club is like a gang. And if you're not familiar with people, they 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 they, they say little. There's little comments, man. People could be really mean. Okay. You know, in toast. So I'm just saying that, just just so no one gets discouraged from competing if they, you know, they win a contest and someone says, "Hey, well, you know, I thought that speech was about," you know, don't get discouraged. It's okay. a part of the game, right? Okay. It's no different from an athlete going to you know, another city and, and the fans heckling him. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's one. Uh, about the jokes. Uh, when you tell jokes, the, the safe thing to do is to make the jokes about you mm-hmm. or anything related to you. I call it the three, the three layers of you, right? So you want the joke to, if you want to play it safe, you want the joke to be about yourself. So either yourself, people okay. related to you, like your family, yep. your, ethni- your ethnicity, your country, Things that are related to you, it gets more broader as you go further from yourself. Yep. But notice that the death by violin speech, it was about myself and my son. Yes. I didn't make fun of any other groups. I didn't make fun of anybody else. Because if you do those jokes, and you can, you can, you, you could run the risk of offending somebody, right? We're at, we're at a nightclub. People are drinking. You may say a joke about an ethnicity. The guy could be under his liquor and may get mm-hmm. mad and throw something at you. So you could you play it safe when you try to make the joke about you or something that 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 you've experienced or people are close to you, because uh, you have to be careful now, especially nowadays with jokes. A lot of people people have lost jobs and endorsements because of the jokes they made on Twitter. Yes, right? we've seen that. So be mindful of your content and and lastly, just take the risks. If if it's a good risk and you and you and you think the material. Um, you know, if you want, if you believe in the material, but you don't know if the fan will accept it, then you know what? Go to your Toastmasters club, test the material with your club, and if if they like it, if they if they chuckle at the club in a larger audience, they will they will howl. <laughs> okay, I yeah. like that. If they the chuckle laugh, in a small group, they'll howl in a big group. Yes, the laugh always multiplies the larger the crowd is. So. If I tell a joke and one person laughs in that, 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 that audience, like one person's like, oh my gosh, then I know that if I go, if I take it to the next level, 10, 20% of those people are, are going to laugh, you know? Okay. So don't give up on your material. And people listen, listen uh, differently. Uh, but all in all, uh, John, you know, I like what you're doing. I think that, 
you know, this is a great forum that you set up, you know, and I look forward to other speakers that you bring on and hopefully that people could learn from this because I'm all about, I'm all about giving as much as I like to give speeches. I like to hear them as well, mm -hmm. you know, so while I'm falling back, working out, um, you know, developing myself, raising these kids, raising these kids. yeah, raising these kids. <laughs> um, I hope more, I hope better speakers come along because over the years in Toastmasters, I had, I received a lot of encouragement. Don't get me wrong, but I did receive some discouragement as well. Right. And I want to be one of those people to encourage people to be better speakers uh, for whatever reason, whether it's personal development or to move ahead in their career, whatever it is. Awesome, Michael. Hey, well, thank you for spreading positivity and for wanting us to win. Thank you for telling us and reminding us that we need to tell jokes responsibly. And thank, yes. you, for, thank you for being a great friend and uh, an awesome brother. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate everything you're up to. I'm really excited to hear about your, your new child. Congratulations. I know you're an amazing father, so they're in good Thanks hands. Thanks so much. Thanks for being on yeah. the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. Anytime.